0: Hey, what's up? Chad Hermanson here with Mental Edge Training Coach. In today's episode, I'll be chatting with Reed Sechrist. Reed is a former minor league player. We were teammates together in AAA in Nashville for years. Great teammates, great friends. We've held tight bond together for years. Reed is now the head coach of Snow Canyon Baseball in St. George, Utah. Actually, in Santa Clara, Utah. So we're going to talk about his life, his career, What he's doing now as a head coach at Snow Canyon, what it's like to be a head baseball coach these days, and we're going to have an awesome time today. So enjoy this conversation with Reed Seacrest. What's up, Reed? How's it going, man?
1: What's going on, Chad?
0: Awesome. It's good I'm doing to be good, here. man. We're, uh, we're in the middle of the July of this recording. It looks like you are in your clubhouse at Snow Canyon High School, right? I am. I'm in my office. That's it. You got a lot of pictures back there. Now, how long have you been coaching high school baseball? This was
1: supposed to be my 17th season. So uh, that got cut a little short. <laughs>
0: but, a little bit. A little bit. Yeah, we're we're all kind of. Yeah. Still trying to figure stuff out during the summer, um, so we're going to talk about. I wanted to bring you on, Takes. Number one, you're a dear friend of mine, and we've been close for so long. Uh, we met in the minor leagues. Um, I was I was roughly around in A ball, I believe. Um, you were in the Pirates system already, uh, like an established veteran, if you will. And <laughs> we started to meet each other. We we shared the same faith. uh, became close friends, pretty pretty immediate, along with some other friends as well. So. I would like to hear your story about how you were drafted. You know, what was your route? How did you get to the Pirates?
1: Well, it's, uh, it was a long route, there's no doubt. And <laughs> uh, drafted never happened. So I um, uh, ended up signing as a free agent. But uh, went to junior college, uh, Dixie Junior College here in uh, southern Utah. And then uh, after that, went to the University of Texas. And uh, played there for one year for Coach Gustafson and uh, wasn't playing very much and thought this is my last year I want to play and there was a small school in Iowa went out there and uh, had a good season and had a pirate scout that that loved me and he had only uh, signed another one other kid before me so he he was down on the totem pole but worked hard for me and then eventually Uh, It made it happen, Uh, actually went to a uh, Minnesota Twins camp in the Metrodome. That didn't work out very well and then uh, went back down to Iowa and was actually going to be a player coach, well not player, but just a coach and finished my degree there and uh, finally decided I was away from my wife, it was our first year anniversary. And I was like, I'm going back to Utah. So I got in the car and drove 15 hours back to Utah. And when I got there, there was a big poster on the uh, on the garage door to say, "Welcome home, pirate." And Hank Krause was my scout, and he'd been trying to call me all day. But you know, back then, uh, only a certain people had a cell phone, so. I wasn't stopping. I figured 15 hours uh, my baseball career was over and I was going to start school and whatever. And then I got home, it all changed. And so uh, they, I asked them if I could. It was actually my – on this was Saturday night. Sunday was uh, Cammie and I's uh, first-year anniversary. And uh, I said, well, could I spend my anniversary with my wife tomorrow and then fly out Monday? And they said, no, they want you to play in the game night." Sunday night. Uh, Sunday night. So I ended up. Welcome uh, to professional baseball. uh, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So the funny thing is, I get to the I get to the game. So I was like, "Yeah, that's great." So they get plane ticket at the Salt Lake International Airport. Flew to Buff uh, Buffalo. Uh, They picked me up in Buffalo. Drove me across the border into Welland, Ontario, Canada, and uh, got got there Sunday night about the seventh inning of the game. So I don't think they really wanted me to play in that game. So uh, anyway, that was uh, quite an experience. And I'm sitting in the stands and uh, one of our hitters strikes out Ramon Espinosa, and he throws his bat off the backstop yelling at the umpire to the call third strike. And I'm sitting there going, what am I (laughs) getting myself into right here? So, anyway it it was good it, it was a good experience and uh played in well in that year and then went on in the instructional league and uh it was good
0: yeah that, that so. that's uh that was a very quick run through of your amateur <laughs> status and and you know it's interesting because um you know for those we were i'm bringing in all types of different athletes players coaches, and all everybody right from different backgrounds, and not everybody actually gets to the big leagues that I'm speaking with. You know, some some guys are, are former major leaguers, former coaches. A majority are, are minor leaguers. So you fit into this category of, I would call it a journeyman, uh, who played, I think, for about 12 years in the minor leagues. Whoa. And there is a huge, you could say, group of players that didn't make the big leagues but could have, at any point, at any time, had spent a lot of time in AAA um you know in the scouting rule now we call them organizational players or up and down players so if you were to if we were to scout you and we put that label on you now that's kind of where you would fit and there's many guys that made it and then so many that didn't um what was your if, if we kind of backtrack back to like junior college um were there any scouts when you were going to high school? Looking at you, or any of the players around you, or was it completely barren? And not till you got to the, the college side of things.
1: Well, I was, uh, growing up in Utah, I think was just tough as it was back then. And uh, um, I remember him telling them the pitching wasn't that great in Utah high schools. Uh, my senior year, even though I had I had a great. Senior year, maybe that's because the pitching was not so good. But they ended up <laughs> drafting uh, lynn Corey, who uh, was from Cedar City. I never faced him, but uh, you know, so that was kind of like uh, there was wasn't really a whole lot there. So I, I um, and I think there was a guy from the uh, scouting bureau was uh, talking. That was about the only person. But then when I got to Dixie, a few more um, Manny Gura. I know that you know him. I'll, uh, great man uh he actually told me I should try to be a pitcher okay. so yeah so that was interesting he got he got that
0: one wrong then <laughs> <laughs> well I don't know
1: maybe I should have been maybe I would have ended up uh, in the big leagues on the mound but uh, so
0: so for our, our the people listening what position were you
1: so I was I, I actually played third base in high school and uh went to Dixie to play third and then my uh Coach said to me one day, hey, any chance you uh, want to play center field? And I was, like, so thankful for that. I was, like, <laughs> I, I, he was very – he was nervous. Uh, Coach Jolly was nervous to uh, ask me if I wanted to go play in the outfield. But it was so re- – it was a relief for me to move out there and, and just be able to run and, you know, catch ball and, you know, fly balls and not have to worry about bun defense or any of that and just hit.
0: Yeah. So – I, anyway, I agree played with that sentiment there for sure. I yes.
1: <laughs> played three out of the, three out of my four years in college in, in center. The uh, one year at Texas I was in right field. Um but uh not not a whole lot going on. And then uh, you know, our team went to the junior college World Series my first year, my freshman year, and uh still really not a whole lot, not even really a whole lot coming out of Dixie College, Uh, a few small schools. So I ended up having to recruit myself out back then. You know, my dad was a pretty smart guy, to be honest with you, when it comes to those things. And uh, he was on me 24-7 about sending out some, uh, you know, it wasn't video, but it was just a portfolio of some news clippings and, and a picture of me and, and just kind of, I would call these colleges and say, hey, I would like to come there. And, and I, I, you know, down to about 10 and Arizona, the university of Arizona wanted me to come down and, and see the school and the university of Texas actually sent Tommy Harmon, their uh, first base coach out to watch me play in the old men's summer league and uh, had a good game. And, uh, Gustafson asked me if I wanted to be a Longhorn and I was, I was excited about that. So we jumped on that and, uh, There was no money involved. They offered me books in the fall. But Todd Van Poppel, who was the number one draft pick by the A's, hadn't signed yet, and he was going to go there. And so that actually allowed – they didn't give me Todd Van Poppel's scholarship, but they (laughs) gave me – so they ended up giving me a pretty decent scholarship to play there. He ended up signing with the A's. So this all happened, uh, like, within a few weeks, late July, early August. So –
0: and yeah. then uh, so, so you get cool. to you get to that big d1 school you you spend some time with some junior college what's that like going from junior college to a, a this is a huge school texas what's that like well you know it was
1: great i mean the opportunity to play at the university of texas but then again it was just uh it was i felt like i was kind of a small fish in a big pond it was it was there was a lot of good players there you know and uh Ended up sitting behind uh, uh, a right fielder who was a junior with me. Great guy, Dean Haskins, and uh, and I just thought, man, next year if this is going to be the same way, I want to play my I want to play my senior year. So ended up, uh, uh, Briarcliff University played for Dan McDermott out there, and uh, and uh, was great. Played uh, center field, hit fourth, NAI and uh, was up for National Player of the Year in the NAI and uh, Pirates kept talking about drafting me, oh, you'll be drafted in this minute, and then that never happened, and kind of uh, made me a little bitter yeah, at the time. But uh, anyway, Hank kept working for me and ended up uh, going well for me, so being able to play pro ball.
0: Yeah, it's tough. It's, you know, no, being a scout and, and obviously covering a certain area, you have all these colleges to go through and look at, and, like, you use the term, like, you, you were a small fish in a big pond at Texas. Um, that's probably how a lot of people feel when they first get there. And that's kind of how scouting works a little bit, too. Like, from my perspective, you know, kind of now outside looking in as a scout, it's like we're going to go where those big fish are, right? So now now when – and I kind of want to open that up into talking about when you're a college player and the D1 doesn't work out, or you're not playing, you want to transfer, you know, it's just not the right fit for you. You go to NAIA, now you're, now you're playing, right? And you could probably play at Texas, but you just didn't get that opportunity. And and, and I know that's true because of the great career in the minor leagues that you had. Um, but the NAIA schools, that's harder to go to and get scouted out. Correct. Is that, is that fair to yeah. say? Like, was there any ever scouts at those games?
1: Well, I think the, I was coming from the University of Texas, so that was – they They came to watch me play. So they knew who you uh, were, yeah. Yeah, but, you know, if I was just coming from Dixie College, I think I would have had to do a lot to get them to even come look at me, or, you know, I don't know if they would have even showed up. But right. there was another kid at uh, Bellevue College that transferred from Oklahoma State, so he brought some people also – you know, into that area right there in Omaha, Sioux City. So that helped. But obviously going from D1, the University of Texas, that was there. And kind of like uh, like you said, there was – when I look back at my career, don't think that I have not looked to see where all those guys that were drafted out of the University of Texas I ended bet. up, you know. And, and some of them had great careers. Shane Halter with the Kansas City Royals. He was actually one of my roommates, yeah. a great guy, you know. So, it, you know, but as far as like, you know, there's probably 10 or 12 kids drafted there. And I would say that as far as we can look at my career, it was, it, it was further than that. So here I am lost at a, at a uh, D1 school knowing that I can play and then just obviously get the opportunity, having a good year at Briarcliff, being up for national player of the year. I mean, things Things worked out, obviously, but I really honestly think the scouts came because this is a kid that was at Texas. So, yeah. why is he here?
0: Right. So, yeah. And it's, and it's probably nice if you, if they, were, I guess, they, if they care enough and they're willing to talk to you, okay, why didn't it work out at Texas? Why are you here now at this school? And you're at least able to tell your story about, okay, this is why. Well, I, I'm not going to spend my senior year because so and so is in front of me. I want, I want to enjoy my last year. I know I can play there. There's just not a spot for me here, so I'm going to go play at, Bri- at Briarcliff.
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, my dad wasn't real happy with that choice, but I think in the long run, I think it was a good thing. I mean, we, uh, it was great. McDermott was, was a great coach, still is a great coach, and, uh, and I loved playing for him, and he worked hard for me. He knew, he knew that I wanted to play at the next level, and, and, and he worked hard even being at a small school to get me that recognition. And actually I had actually left after the draft and came back to Utah because I was so mad. I know <laughs> we went fast through my career, but I actually came back with my wife to Utah. And then when I was there, coach McDermott called me said, Reed, you got to come back out. There's about 15 teams represented at this camp. You need to come do it. So I went back out there and uh, the white Sox had a good camp, hit a home run in the, in the game we played and the white socks were like, By Monday, we'll have you a place. We need a third. And I actually, I moved back to third base because I was like, they've seen me play the outfit. Let me show them something different. So I came back to third. The White Sox had said, hey, we need a third baseman. Uh, uh, We'll have you something by Monday. So, you know, I'm on the phone calling everybody. White Sox, White Sox getting off. And uh, he calls me on Monday and said that they had signed someone that he didn't know about the day before to play third base to fill that hole. So basically, sorry, uh, if I can do something for you down the road, let me know. So I had left my wife back in Utah, drove back out to Iowa for this camp, and then there was the camp up in the Metrodome, and I was like, man, who who doesn't want to play in a big league field? So I went up, drove five hours up there to this camp, and it was – made it was a two-day camp. You come back the second day. I come back the second day. Uh have two at bats, I think, quick. It was an 18 inning game and I sat there for you know 14, 15 innings and I finally said to the guy that was run, I said, hey, am I gonna get another bat or should I just go home? And uh he gave me another bat and all I could think of was I wanted to hit one over that baggie in right field. Yeah. And I swung so hard three times, missed everything and Packed my bag, drove back to Sioux City, and told my coach, "Hey, I'm going home, spending my anniversary with my wife." So, yeah, went that's home, good. and the
0: Pirates signed me on the way. So, so yeah, so so that so that's interesting. So you're you're thinking in a way like my career's over, right? At this point, you're, and you're driving back home across the country, and 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 probably upset, right? You're you're probably like, "Is this this is it? Like this now? I got I got go get a job." Right, <laughs> right.
1: Well, That's, that's exactly. I was, I was like, I'm going to go to Weber State University and get my degree. Who wants to do that? I don't want to yeah. do that. I want to play. Yeah, I'm a baseball uh, player. Uh, yeah, that was a tough 15-hour drive home by myself, and uh, I didn't stop or I didn't call my wife and say, "Hey, I'm you know I'm in uh, Lincoln, Nebraska now. I'm in Cheyenne, Wyoming. I just kept driving, and and when I got home, she's like, "How come you haven't called? And I was like, "I didn't. I had a lot of thinking to do, there's no doubt, so anyway, but uh, she had a huge poster on the uh, garage door, said, Welcome Home Pirate, went in and called Hank, and uh, Hank did a great
0: job, I mean, he got it done. So, did you, uh, th- this long drive home, you didn't stop. Did you just use like the super big gulp cup to pee in? Did you? Did you... <laughs> <laughs>
1: I stopped at a gas station, but I didn't have 25 cents or a collect call to make it on a pay phone. So I just kept, <laughs> I put the gas in the car and kept going. Plus, I had no money, so I don't know what I was thinking.
0: Right. That's interesting. So, yeah, so, so then, then you sign, you start your professional career. Uh, you start to see right away, you know, you, you can't spend your anniversary now with your wife. You got to give out to pro ball immediately and your wife's no probably are already thinking like, okay, so this is, I, I just got to follow you, right? I just got to go do whatever you do. Um, so tell us about the minor leagues. How does that all start out for you? And because you, you started to kind of play, when I played with you, you were like a corner player. You You caught a little bit, played third, played first, some left, some right. Um, tell us about kind of your minor league career.
1: Well, I did a lot to try to stay in the lineup, so I tried to play every position there was. But when the Pirates signed me, they actually signed me as a third baseman. So even though I'd played outfield, so anyway, I go and so on that Monday after I'd signed, I started at third base in my first professional game, and I was scared to death. I was like, what am I doing on the infield pro baseball? Like, I could handle it maybe in high school, but uh, didn't get one ball hit to me. Zero balls hit to me. I was the happiest guy around. And then <laughs> and, and, uh, Rocky Bridges, our minor league uh, field, uh, infield coordinator, he came into Welland, and uh, they actually put me on the disabled list for about a week in Welland and uh, just worked me over ground balls. And uh, he stayed there the whole time. and. And got to know him pretty well, yep. uh, and uh, just taught me how to play the infield
0: really. So, so that's that's what we call the phantom DL, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, kind yep.
0: make up an injury or, you know, or yep. something like that. So yeah, that's so you're starting to. That's that's what I wanted to share. Is one part of that is that you you played outfield, you're an outfielder, and now you're going into pro ball, and you you had the mindset of look, I I just want to play. So whatever position it is. I'm trying to get to the big leagues. If I have to play third, I got to play third. Yeah. So played (laughs) third there and they they knew that
1: I would played the outfield. I think I played a couple games at first, but I didn't play the outfield at all. Went to instructional league that year playing third and only third. And then that next summer, uh, you know, I, I had a great manager, Trent Jewett was uh, someone that, uh, you know, for some reason he really liked me, you know, and I mean, he, I mean, he got on me a lot of times, but I mean, I was kind of his guy that he was going to drag around with him, whether it made sense or not. So out of spring training, I mean, everybody's dying. They don't want to go to, you know, uh, extended spring training and I'm sitting there, you know, hoping that some way I can go to Augusta with him. And I end up in Augusta and Jason Kendall was our catcher. And, uh, I, one of our catchers was sick, and uh, Trent had asked me if I would help in the bullpen because I wasn't playing that day if I would catch a bullpen. So I went down there, and I was scared to death. You know, guys <laughs> throwing 95. I have no idea where it's going in A ball. I'm down there trying to catch it, and Trent walks down and says, hey, uh, hey, I like your hands. You ever caught before? And I said, No. And he said, You want to learn how? And I said, No. (laughs) And he said, Hey, quickest way to the big leagues is a left-handed hitting catcher. And I said, All right, let's do it. So I started catching, and just so happened the last month of the season, Jason had injured his shoulder and they didn't want him to catch or anything. And they just wanted to hit. So he DH'd and I ended up catching the last month of in Augusta, not having a clue of what I was doing. One of the funny stories I tell there was uh, um, I, I was pitching and, and uh, Richie Townsend was was pitching, sorry, I was catching, and he wanted to throw a slider. And for some reason, I couldn't put three down. And he finally called me out to the mound and he, go, he, got, he yelled at me. He's like, don't you think we want to throw a slider here? <laughs> and I was like, Richie, I was trying to put that down he taps me on the back, he's like, you're okay, okay, all right, you're okay, and I go back and catch, and uh, it was just kind of stuff like that, that uh, I didn't realize, you know, what went on catching, I had an umpire yell at me once, at the very first day, you got to back up first base, you know, he's running down the line, he's like, you got to come with me, and I met a guy halfway down the line, between home and third, on a I got the ball early and I didn't want him to run me over. So I just took off and went about four steps and ran him over. And uh, that kind of caused some problems. But uh, anyway, uh, oh, yeah, I learned a lot. and But, you know, it's been a blessing, man, because I tell you what, when I'm coaching here at the high school, that whole catching thing is I'm managing these kids, really, you know. I mean, as far as coaching goes, I don't coach a lot. Like, I know the game. I know what they need to do when they're swinging the bat and that stuff, but I'm telling you what, as far as catching goes, I just really feel like I manage players. Like I, you know, the different, uh, they're different uh, mental part of the game, and just really try to uh, bring that catching because you dealt. I dealt with so many different pitchers on the mound, guys that you could yell at, guys that you'd have to pat on the rear end. It's the same thing here at the high school level, you know, I got different kids from different backgrounds, not to get off track, but that catching really, I mean, I love the Trent Jewett had me catch because I knew I wanted to coach. that was always something I really wanted to do, right. but catching that year in Augusta really, and you know then I go to instructional league the next you know that season, I'm a catcher, and Joel Lynette working with me, and really anybody. It's funny, I know you've had Ban- Coach uh, Banny on here. I've, I wrote down so many things that that guy had talked to me about. You know, I, I actually could probably pull up some paper right here where I have some notes from Jeff yeah. Bannister on there, you know, yeah. telling me things, you know. So I was like, I try to get it all in. I was like, I really got a learn this, And I think it kept me around a long time, obviously, being able to catch. Because I, yeah. in my mind, I was a great outfielder, but they weren't ready to play me there
0: so no, i agree i i think you had you have the mindset of what most people i think feel about catching is like i want nothing to do with it right it's, really it, it, and when Trent gave you that perspective of like hey man like he's probably looking at you like number one you have a frame this strong sturdy frame you have the frame of a catcher so he probably he's already knows that and he's seeing you oh he can actually do it so he's saying hey left-handed hitter mm-hmm. catcher you better learn this mm-hmm. or you you might not be around long if you don't that's you know they right. maybe don't know that so it's it's interesting how this all works out and so you add this to your resume I agree if you can learn how to catch and have that back there somewhere you know there's there's a lot of teams that have three catchers that it's going to mm-hmm. allow you to play this game a lot longer And then, like you said if you're a coach knowing how to catch because now you're the only person that sees the field out front. Like all all the position players, we're all looking at the hitter. So you see everything. And I think that's why a lot of catchers make such great managers, because they see everything. They know everything. They're dealing with the pitchers and the meetings and everything that's going on. So that that's pretty cool. So you you now have so let's let's kind of fast forward to what you and I, t- we meet, uh, I get drafted in 95. I think you've already played a couple years of pro ball. Um, so I, I kind of, I latched on to you. You're an older guy. And I'm like, I got to hang out with three because he knows what he's doing. Um, and we just became friends. Right? We just hit it off and, and just enjoyed each other's company and um, gave me a lot of advice as a young player coming up. And, and then we finally get to play together in Nashville um, under Trent Jewett. Uh, Trent was our manager there yeah we became roommates you know we kind of we had lunch together every day so it was it was pretty cool Um, any stories that you remember from our days in Nashville
1: oh man I, I you know I was thinking about this and I was thinking about how you know I watched you hit so many home runs in Nashville, but, like, I can't really remember those. But I can remember, like, being on the plane with you. I can remember seeing how we're going to get to the airport, like how we going to get to the field. Like, like I remember all that stuff. And, and, God, man, that's the stuff that I miss a lot, you
0: know. I mean, it's just like. Well, so speaking man. of the airplane, I'm going to cut you off, because speaking of the airplane, we fly to Nashville, <laughs> and you hated to fly.
1: Uh, I, didn't I fly.
0: You're like You're like, I still I don't it. like it. Yeah, I got to take my pills. I got to knock myself out to get through this flight. So I, we would, like, sit next to each other and play, and you're just like, you're like this. And I'm like, well. I, guess I remember
1: you trying to show me movies and all kinds of things. I said, hey, get your mind off this stuff. I'm like, oh, goodness. I'm, We're going down. We're going down. So, like,
0: come on, man. Let's yeah, watch some Tommy well- Boy.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was good but, oh shoot i love nashville man i was there for what three years yeah. i mean it, it was uh, had uh, trent was my manager i had marty brown there was my manager um just uh, just love nashville there's no doubt about it It was a great place to play a great city uh it was it was fun yeah, you know, the th- funny thing is when I look back at pro ball, I think like all my stories and memories are like a ball and everybody like, like stunk it up like one game or another, you know, like I remember filling up all third and throwing it off the backstop, you know, like, <laughs> you know, it, I mean, just things like that. But when yeah. I get the triple A, it seemed like everybody was pretty decent, you know, like, so the funny stories like just kind of were.
0: Were, yeah, we kind of out the door, we kind of figured it out by then,
1: right? Yeah, I, guess I think, it, you're, you're I think for be... the most part, everybody had there's still <laughs> some funny things that went on, but man, I think back at A Ball, some of the things that happened, it was like you know, um, there's just crazy stuff that uh, you didn't really see when you got at the next that triple A, but yeah. yeah, Nashville was great, loved uh, my time there, there's no doubt. To, I think uh, one of the funniest stories is uh, you probably tell it better was, though, in 2001 when I felt like I should have got a call-up at the Uh end of the year. (laughs) And I love hearing your side of this story because I just remember yelling whatever I want to yell. about. I was always kind of like laid back, did what they want, you know, catch my bullpens, happy to be on the team. You know, I'm not going to ruffle feathers. I'm just going to do what I can to make this team better. And the people around me better, and uh, after two thousand one, I kind of lost it. I think <laughs> a little bit, that season. I'll so tell. I'll tell you. I that. actually I... had probably the best season of my career. So. Yeah.
0: Yes, and I and I was we were pulling for. So, how old were you at that season?
1: So I was thirty one.
0: Okay. So I'll I'll tell it. So you're you're thirty one years old. Um. What what year was that? So I can put it in context. That was old two thousand one. Two thousand one. Okay. So I, I had made my major league debut in 99, um, started as a starting center field in 2000. I think you were still in Nashville. And then you, you had actually kind of, I don't know if it was that year, but I know you went to like Memphis for a year. You went to Oklahoma City for a year. It's like you went to a AAA team or a, a different organization, but then you came back. It's like the Pirates were right. the team you could that always come my, back to, right? Yeah. So, I always had a joke. Yeah. So I'm up and down between the big leagues and triple a from 99 to 2001 or two. And, and, uh, and I know you're as a journeyman, you're 31 years old. You, you had your best year at triple a, you, you were raking um, the second half. You were unbelievable. You're hitting oppo bombs, like crazy I'm playing third really well. Um, just like, it was all just sinking for you. Right. Um, and, and without knowing the, you could say the logistics of you got to be on a 40-man roster to get called up um, or they have to put you on it to take, some, take okay. someone off, all these things. We're, all, all of us in the clubhouse are like, dude, like, if anybody deserves a shot, it's this 31-year-old journeyman minor leaguer who's been busting his butt <laughs> for years, right? And like you said, you you were quiet. Um, you, you just did your job, right? And we, we you did your job. And so September comes. The call-ups start to come. Um, Trent Jewett is was it Trent Jewett or Marty at that point?
1: Oh, uh, Marty was the man. It was, it was Marty, Marty. So,
0: so yeah. So Marty is is calling in guys that that are getting called up. Usually it's one by one, and I don't know. There's like five <laughs> or six guys that have already gone into his office and come out and like and hey, going to the big leagues, you know. And and so you start to get real loud. You you start to. <laughs> Oh, okay. So so so-and-so gets called up. What do you got to do to get called up around here? You know, so, so you kind of went through that. I don't give a, I don't give an F what I say right now. I'm just going to make my, I think you took a broomstick or something and started banging it on the ceiling. Uh You know, so you just, you just kind of stated your case that was like, screw this. Like I deserve to go up you know, and everyone in that clubhouse agreed with that. It, it just sucked that it didn't work out because you were certainly good enough to play in the big leagues. So, so that's, that, that's kind of my point when we first started that you were, you were good enough to play in the big leagues, but that opportunity didn't come for whatever yeah. reason. Um, and I know that's probably was hard for you to deal with and to eat you up, you know, and all that stuff.
1: You know, what. Well, yeah. People talk, say, hey, did you play in the big leagues? A lot of people don't even know I played. I don't even know. You know, I don't sit there and talk about it a lot. But, you know, when people do, did you play in the big leagues? And it's like, no. And it's just been nice to have that, you know, here's a team that I've been with since day one. I finally... The problem is, Chad, is that at the same time, that's when Cam Bonifay got – they they fired Cam Bonifay and brought in uh, the other guy from uh, Florida. So I think that – Yeah, Uh, yeah. I think Cam and I kind of, I think we were good. I think that something would have happened. Del Swain told me one day that uh, if uh, Cam would have been the GM in September, you would have been there, you know? So all these, you know, just different things. So maybe it wasn't supposed to happen, but, you know, I look back at what happened and I I love it. It's only one thing. Did you play in the big leagues? No. You know, I played in AAA. So. You know, that's a, that's the thing that's, uh, that, that, I don't know, it doesn't really matter to me now, but, you know, it's one thing that it, it would be nice to say, yeah, I played the big leagues. I struck yeah. out, you know, on yeah, three no pitches, doubt. I didn't even swing. You yeah. know, whatever.
0: Yeah, and so. like I said, there, there's so many guys that fit into your shoes that they just love the game. You know, they played it forever. Um, they're still in the game you're coaching, but what we were, you were good enough to play there. You know, that that's the best I can say, and I know you, with with being there, seeing guys um you, you would have i could see you would have been a, a left-handed pinch hitter could play multiple positions you know may, maybe would only play once a week you know <laughs> pinch hit you know kind of like that last that that 24th right, right. guy um and then you get sent down two weeks later because they they brought up a, a young 23 year old you know so right. that that's the game of baseball and um so many guys have gotten that opportunity. They're like, yeah, I got, I got, you know, Banny. I think Banny had what, two or yep. three at bats. Uh, maybe, you know, Ron Wright, our good friend, Ron. Um, yep. He had some at bats and, and, uh, you know, certainly it was good enough to be there for a really long time, you know? So right. it's, uh, that's why I, that was a main well, Ron, reason. Yeah, go ahead.
1: I was going to talk about Ron real quick. Yeah. And, you know, he hit the reverse cycle, triple play, double play and yeah. struck out. And I I always tell him, man, dude, I would have loved to have done that. Like, what, you know, and so, <laughs> I, and I know that he, I know he's happy with what he did, you know, with his back and things, but it's just that, you know, I would have loved to have had that one AB, you know, right. one A B.
0: Yeah. It's like, just to so. put, you know, it's that, the, the boyhood dream of, I just want to put the uniform on, right. And, <laughs> and be in that clubhouse and. Um, I guess if you're there for a little bit, you kind of take that a little bit for granted because it just becomes a part of you. Um, But man, when you get sent back down, when you go from the big leagues to AAA, you realize you're like, dude, this is this is it. Like this is this is where I want to be, and this is, you know. Then you go to AAA, and it's like, oh, I got to go. That you get back (laughs) down to AAA, and it's. I remember being older. My last year in AAA was 30, and now you're the veteran. So now I'm in your shoes. You know, at 30. Um, now I'm the old guy, you know, now I'm playing with, I'm not on i I'm not on a 40 man. Now it's the young outfield prospects who you feel like you're still better than, you know, you, you like, right. I'm, better, I'm better than all these guys, <laughs> you know, but they're on a 40 man. They're younger. They have options. Uh, maybe there's their body's not beat up, you know, when, when your body's beat up at 30, right. stuff like that. So it's interesting how 20 to 30, how, how different your body feels
1: there's you know? <laughs> oh, no doubt, yeah, no especially doubt. You're doing all that 30 to 40s bad too
0: <laughs> yeah so, so you have uh let's talk about your family you, you have four boys you you know you married cami you, you started your pro career kind of right around when you got married walk us through what it was like to to be a father with kids going through the minor leagues
1: Shoot. boy, that, that was hard. I mean, that was tough. I mean, especially when bro,
0: when Brogan was young and not in
1: school, that was pretty easy. We just, she came with, with us wherever and we could move and go and do whatever. Uh, as soon as he, he started kindergarten, first grade, second grade, then it was kind of like, so, you know, I mean, I owe a lot to my wife. She was awesome through this whole thing. I mean, she traveled all over the place with these kids and, uh, had three at the time Brogan Brogan got to experience things that my other ones didn't get to experience because he actually in Nashville would take batting practice with us and hang out in the outfield and then sit on the bench and hear all kinds of good words and things <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he actually got to live it a little bit so that, that was good the other uh, two showed up but they're pretty pretty small I remember my I remember my wife flying out of Altoona, Pennsylvania, and her flight got canceled in Cleveland, and she ended up in a hotel with the three little boys. And By the time they got to the hotel, they actually got her back on a bus. I mean, she spent maybe an hour or two in the hotel room, and then they got her back on a bus to the airport. So things like that was crazy. You know, being away from stuff, and I think that's where my career kind of like started. To, I started to realize that, hey, you know, Pittsburgh wanted me to coach. 2001, I was actually a player coach with yeah. more emphasis on coaching, but I ended up uh, having that year that I had, which is maybe something we should talk about also.
0: Yeah, I um, think we'll get into that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, we, uh, we need to. And then uh, you know so from that time, uh, it was just it was difficult to, uh, to have that family, and you know, Brogan's calling me on the phone saying, "Hey, Dad, I hit a double today." And I was just like, man, you know, my dad was there for me all the time. Like, he coached me, he mentored me, took me, uh, you know, he taught me things that I needed to learn, and there's my son. And I just felt like, where am I at in this? Probably not going to – if I coach, it's going to be the same things, instructional league, spring training you know, whatever it might be, and so I thought, you know what, I, I got to go home. Had my degree at that time now. I did online school, finished up my degree. Thank you to my wife again for making me do that, so I had the opportunity to leave baseball and enjoy my family and, and actually be a coach, and I've coached them all through this, and, and I've got one more left. He's a ninth grader, and uh, I'll coach him hopefully for the next four years here at, at Snow Canyon, but yeah, for sure. That was that was tough. And tough on my wife. And even the day that I retired, she said, "Now, this is your choice, right? This is She's like, "Because I'm fine. She was home. We hadn't seen each other in a month, you know, and she's like, "I'm fine. You know, you just keep doing what you're doing." And and I said, "No, I need to be home." So that's which, which two, is 2003. A hard decision, right? When
0: you come to that day,
1: uh yeah. yeah. It was the cool thing is is no one ever told me I wasn't good enough anymore, you know. I was still playing. I was playing for Cleveland. I was in Triple A. Marty Brown was our manager there, and I went in and said, Hey, I'm packing it up and going home when we get off this road trip. So what anyway, part of the but it was, was that? that was uh that was right at the end of July. Okay. So I'd actually flown home from Buffalo at the all-star break. So I started with the Reds that year, and I, they sent me to Chattanooga. My family was with me in spring training, and then they sent me to Chattanooga, and I was like, hey, how how long am I going to be here? And they're like, well, not very long. So they wanted me to send my family to Louisville because Brogan was in Little League, and Louis, we'd already signed him up for Little League in Louisville. And uh, we had our apartment, and the last day of spring training, they're like, hey, we need you to go to Chattanooga because one of our catchers is hurt and I was like well how long and they said just a couple weeks but you and I know this game too well two weeks turn into a month a month and a half or you get released or whatever and yeah so we had decided that she would fly home with the kids from Florida at the end of spring training and then kind of wait to see what happened so I end up going to uh Chattanooga that year and then uh they re- I I'm there till the middle of May so a month and a half, and then they released me. Okay. So uh, then Cleveland needs a uh, utility play, player in AAA, which Marty Brown was a manager, so that was pretty easy done deal, right? You know, and <laughs> love Marty and played for him and and end up going to Cleveland, Buffalo. So I'm there. Uh, the all-star break happens, and I'm like, hey, it's a chance for me to fly home and watch Brogan play because he was playing. So I watched him play. And then I had to fly back, so I fly back when I get there. My name wasn't on the lineup card or the uh, extras. Hmm. And uh, I was like, oh, okay, so don't tell me you released me, because that would have made me mad, because there were still more games of Brogans to watch, right, Right. at home. And they said they put me on the Phantom Disabled list. They needed my roster spot. And at that time, I was like, okay, this is really – I had my degree – what's going to happen in these seven days that I'm on this minor league uh, disabled yeah. list. And one of the things they said, well, we're going to try to trade you. And I was like, 33 year old that's never played in the big leagues. That's probably not going to happen. So then the other thing was you might come off the disabled list, which could happen. And the other thing was that they would release me. I felt like they were going to release me. So I started pursuing the uh, teaching mm-hmm. part of education and, uh, end up uh, interviewing and you know uh, about a week later I actually came off of this able to still have my job with Cleveland but it was kind of the first time in my career that I'd looked at the lineup card and I wasn't really excited to be on the lineup card I wasn't I wasn't in the lineup but I was an extra and I was kind of like nah, I kind of feel like I've made my decision here so I interviewed in Pawtucket and uh, took the teaching job so I think that kind of all just kind of just it was the end of July when I decided I was done. But, uh, you know, Luke Collier was in Pawtucket, uh, Kelly Dransfeld. A um, lot of guys that I had played with were playing for Pawtucket. And uh, they were all, like, happy I was, you know, going to go be a teacher and a coach. And it was kind of a cool thing. They're like, wish we had something to do like that or something, <laughs> you know. Because you know the grind. You know yeah. it's the grind. But, but there's nothing like that. It, man, I I love every minute of what I did. So,
0: yeah. So that's interesting. How you said I got to the park that day, and my name was not on the lineup, and you were actually you were okay with that, meaning that you're like, once you realize that, you're like, it was like a switch for you almost, where like I think I'm done. Right. Yeah. Because I I'd always
1: told people, oh, they're gonna have to rip my jersey off my back. You know, I mean, that's gonna but I think there comes a time in your life where you're like, you know, what's most important here, you know, or my kids. Yeah. I could see that I could have probably played two more years. You know, I, I could still be coaching in, in yeah. the pro game right now, if I would have followed that, you know, so. Or you get to the big leagues like, as a
0: coach, you know, that, yeah. You go that, route, could, right?
1: I, that could have happened. And, and, and you know what, I kind of, Hope in my mind that it still can happen. Uh, there was a coach in uh, in Pawtucket, Orv. I can't remember Orv's last name, but he was coaching for Pawtucket. Coached with the A's. Coached against me when I was in Calgary, Triple A. And uh, he would actually done. He'd walked away from the pro game, and then he got back in. I know it's tough to do, but I think about it a lot. I think when I'm done here coaching, and my kids are gone, and 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 teaching, and maybe I take an a ball job someplace, you know, and, you know, my wife loved it. I loved it. So I'd like to get back into it. Maybe one day, I don't know if that'll happen or not, but, uh, but we need, priorities you, right now are yeah. my boys.
0: Yeah. Cause you got your youngest boy. We were just chatting the other day. You got a couple of boys in college, someone that's out of college. And then your youngest is going to be going to be an eighth grader yeah, yeah. going into ninth ninth grade. Grade. going in. He's going to just yeah. start high school. So, you at least got four more years of coaching in high school, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I,
1: and I see past that, too. I, I, yeah. I don't know. I love to coach. I love being around the game. I mean, I think I'm going to stick around as long as I can. As yeah. long as the parents
0: in my community will have me, I'm going to stay. Right. So, so let's backtrack now to when you said you were a player-coach, and that happened to be the probably your best year. Why yeah. is that? And that's kind of what I wanted
1: to talk about was, you know what, I? there was another job. Like, if I suck today, I'm just going to go throw BP, you know, hit some fungos, whatever. I'm going to coach. I still have my paycheck. I still have my insurance. I think when I'm coming up through and I don't have that security, I'm thinking I got to go four for four. I got to make every play. I've got to be the guy. I've got to provide for my family. And the only way to do that is honestly, is to get to the big leagues. right? And that year in 2001, they said player coach, and I was more emphasis on coaching. I I quit doing everything. Like, I'm not telling people to quit doing everything, but like, for, like in the off season, I was like, I'm going to spend every minute I can with my family because I'm going to leave them here and go to yeah. spring training. Yeah. So I spent more time with them than lifting weights or hitting or anything. And I walk into spring training and I – hit fine, body felt fine, I was probably fat, but for the most part, I, I, I was like, the worst thing that can happen is I suck as a player and I coach and my paycheck's still there and that. And I think that whole mindset just kind of made me a better player. Like I was, I wasn't so caught up in like having to do everything, have to be the guy. You know, I got to get in the lineup somehow, some way, somehow, I got to get myself in the lineup and then I got to get two or three hits. I didn't feel like that. And, uh, I spent the first three weeks of that season doing zero. Like I didn't play. I didn't. And I asked, I remember asking Marty, Hey, uh, can I throw some batting practice or something? And he's like, no, they don't want you to do that. Whatever. So then, uh, Craig Wilson got called to the big, we're in Tacoma. Craig Wilson gets called yeah. to the big league. Humberto Cota gets hurt. Well, I'm catching. And I go, I'm like, I'm like, I remember walking up, and I think Steve Decker was catching, and he goes, Seacrest, I don't even know what to throw you right now, man. The catcher's <laughs> telling me this. Because I was, I had like four doubles and a home run in this. <laughs> and I was like, I'm like 10 for 16 in this four-game series. and. Yeah. And it yeah. never stopped. Like, it was that way the whole season. And I really think it was because I just felt like I could just play. Yeah. It was kind of like college. I could just play because, you know what, my dad's going to send me some money today or something. Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't have any worries or I didn't have to put food on the table. So I really try to tell my high school guys that. It's like, hey, you're not getting paid to do this. You know what, you need to have fun. Go out and have fun. Play the game the way you played it in Little League. Play the game you played it in Travel Ball. Yeah. You know, that's kind of the way. And and it comes back to the same thing as as managing my guys, giving them those that confidence that they need to succeed, you know, knowing that I have their back, knowing that I believe in them. And it's it's not easy all the time. You know, I'm coaching third and I gotta have a guy pitch hit for somebody. Oh, yeah, you just blew my kid's confidence out of. The world. No, I didn't because I'm still talking to your son. I feel like he's still our guy the next game he plays, you know whatever it might be, but I think that comes along with being a catcher and being able to manage people. I think that's what you have to do as a coach I Another thing I was going to talk about was this year, my son can he's at Academy of arts pitching and he and and he he used to be a position player, but He's realized he, if he's going to make it anywhere, it's going to be as a pitcher. So he wanted to only pitch. That's all he wanted to do. I'm just going to pitch. I'm just going to pitch. Well, coach, his coach, my old college coach, McDermott, said, dude, I need you to play a position. So like, I need you to pitch, but you also got to play a position. So this year he went – I mean, he's hitting 320 this year. Yeah. And this kid hadn't hadn't hit in a year and a half or whatever because he didn't hit at Southern Idaho. And I was talking to him, and he's like, "Dad, I don't care. Like yeah. I, I don't. I want to pitch. I want to be the guy in the mouth. But when I get up there to hit, I just see the first pitch, and I try to hit as hard as I can. And here's a kid <laughs> that you know, you know, you know, he's hitting 320, hasn't hit in a year and a half, you know, at, yeah. at, at, at Division Two. So I kind of related it back to uh, 2001 when I was uh, a player coach. It's like I don't want to tell kids not to care. That's like the worst thing to say. But at the same time, relax. You Somehow yeah. you've got to get to that point in your career where you're like, I can just let myself play, do my thing, I think. And then when you can do that, then you can have a lot of success in this game
0: doing that. So. Yeah. You know, it's interesting you say that because I, I went through that same part. In fact, it, it, I think I was with you. I, I did it on two separate occasions. Because I had been sent back down to from the big leagues to Triple A, and, and you, I kind of consoled in in you. You know, I, I would ask you all these questions, and and but just we would just talk, right? And and then we got I got to the point where like, I think you even told me it was like maybe you shouldn't care as much, you know? Because I, I was always like I'm I'm supposed to be the man, like I gotta I gotta like the goddess' and shouldas, right? I gotta get back yeah, up yeah. to the big leagues. I'm a first-round pick. I got to go be the guy for the Pirates. I got to go do it. Yeah. So that adds extra stress. So there's two times I did that where I just backed off, and I was like, okay, I'm just going to go play. I don't care what the result is. And I had a better – like, I actually played well with you as we were roommates in uh, 2001 and earned that another call-up without really overdoing it, Working working on my swing. It was more just focusing on the approach of hitting and the mindset, yeah. knowing that I can hit, and I'm going to stick with my approach, right? I already knew I had good yeah. mechanics. Like, I didn't care about the mechanics, yeah. right? Yeah. And then I did that a second time when I uh, became a free agent, went and played for the Dodgers, uh, was AAA here in Las Vegas, when I played in front of my, my, my family and my hometown. And Vegas is different. There was, there was a batting cage. This was back in 2003. So the only batting cage was behind the outfield wall at Cashman, and it was garbage, right? And it, so it's 110 degrees. So I just said, look, I, I, I didn't go out there one time. I didn't take any extra batting practice or flips out there. I said, I'm going to – I know I can hit. I'm going to stick with my approach. And I'm just going to go do it in the game. And I hit like 400 there and got called up to the, <laughs> with the Dodgers. So it, what's hard to tell that, though, with kids is, like, we're not saying, yeah, like, don't right. go do the work, right? No. Do, what, do what you do and need to do to get ready. But also, this is the mindset of, you know, I was 20, what was I, 24, around that, 24, but had already had about seven years of big uh, minor league experience. When you're still in high school, you still need to go do the work. <laughs> yeah, you're, sure. you're not a pro. You're not a pro yet, so keep that no. work going. But no, because you kind of start to figure yourself out as you get older. Like I don't need to go take a hundred swings before this game. I'm playing every day, yeah, right? You know, I, I'm so exactly. so. That's what I'm saying. You you get, you kind of figure it out. And I agree. I think everybody that's played the game for a while starts to realize what you need to do to get ready for that day. So it's interesting. I would always
1: go early hitting. I would always take extra hacks after BP or whatever. But when I was going bad, I looked back, I did so much more. I stayed after the game and would go down the cage and hit, you know, and it was like, maybe I should have taken a different approach and just got away from what was going on. Because like you said, I know my mechanics are good. I wouldn't be here if they weren't good. i I just hit a ball 450 feet the other day, you know. Like I know my mechanics, are, and I'm 28, 29, 30 years old. I know what I'm doing. Right. So why, why just go beat a dead horse in the batting cage? And so, I don't know. Yeah. I just sure. think that it's. Yeah, I just think that uh, sometimes you have to step away and go the kind of the other way from
0: from this. Yeah. But. So I wanted to ask you about. You know, being the minor league journeyman you are, everybody sometimes around the the age of 30. Like 30 is like the magic number for whatever reason. Um, if a guy hasn't made it to the big leagues around that age, there's teams that are outside of the country that start to to really pay attention to guys that have some tools, whether it's some big raw power, um, can really throw hard, different different scenarios and tools and things like that. You were put in that position to go play. Outside of the United States, tell us about that
1: yes, so in uh ninety seven i uh had been in triple a one year i was twenty seven years old, which was old for triple a and ended up uh a uh, team from Japan had come in and watched me play, and I ended up going over there for the for the half of the season. The hard thing with that was was I really feel like i if I would have had a full season there, I think that I would have just stayed there, played there. Been there, into my career there. Yeah. Uh, but I came in June, and I actually, they signed me in about the middle of May, and I didn't get to Japan until, like, June 20th or something. So I had, like, almost a whole month off before I got there. And uh, But a great experience for me. Obviously, I got paid, uh, which was huge, yeah. you know, especially we just talked about me being a free agent. So there was no money really ever in baseball until that day. And uh, so that was good for me and uh, loved it over there, definitely a different culture and different things. and I actually was playing pretty well. I had taken a oh, uh, I was hitting 313. I took an 0 for four and uh, made a play at third that they didn't like, got the guy out of first, but they wanted me to get the guy out at second. and uh, just kind of ended up pinch hitting from there on mm-hmm. after that. So like you're out. <laughs> was, I don't think they. Yeah, and and I don't know if they, I don't think they just liked. I I worked on it as hard as I ever did. I wanted to uh, you know understand their culture and and really get in the Japanese part of the game, but uh, it never really seemed to work out. So after about a month in the in their big leagues over there, they sent me down to their minor leagues, and then they started changing me and doing things which I was willing to change because I wanted to stay there, but it was still frustrating to me that they would take me over there. So it just never really worked out. I mean, it was a situation where I was thankful that I got paid because the money was guaranteed, but it uh, was definitely uh, different. I was happier than ever to come back to the United States and play, but I really think if I had a full season there that it would have been different. Uh, You know, the communication was hard, um, but... And my interpreter, uh, I don't know if he ever really said the things that I asked for, because I went in and talked to the manager and said, do I need to work harder? What do I need to do? He's probably like, this guy hates the place. You know, he doesn't like anything about Japan, and which was totally wrong. But I don't know what he was saying to my manager. So after a while, they sent me the minors, and then they released me like three months later. So. I tried to go to Korea at the end of my career because I was like, you know, I, if I could make some more money before I finish, that would be great, but uh, nobody nobody cared. <laughs> so
0: Yeah, so but, d- didn't you say, like, just, just that half season that you were able to kind of help solidify playing for the next few years because the money you made compared to what you made here as a minor leaguer?
1: Yeah, no doubt about it. So that helped and then came back. And uh, you know what I actually signed with the Cardinals in '98, and uh, that was a great, that was a great experience. Uh, that was one of the times where I really kind of felt like I belonged where I was at because I grew up a St. Louis Cardinal fan uh, as a little kid and Willie McGee and all those guys. And I remember being at my locker and my locker faced all the way down the clubhouse, uh, Larus's office was on the other end and I remember sitting in my locker looking down and on the left Mark McGuire sitting there his locker on the right Willie McGee Vince Coleman guys that you know I thought you know Willie McGee Vince Coleman that I thought were the greatest ever when I was yeah. a kid and, yeah. and that was the first time I remember sitting in my locker looking down this clubhouse and thinking somebody thinks I belong here you know like this is the St. Louis Cardinals these are these are the guys that you know, I loved as a little kid. They were my heroes, you know, Willie McGee, especially when I got moved out to center field in college, I wanted to be like Willie McGee, you know, I wanted to be that guy. Yeah. And there I was in the same locker room clubhouse with him. And so that was really a time in my life. I remember sitting in front of my locker and just kind of looking at it and thinking, this is a great thing right here. This I didn't ever feel that I was that good, but somebody obviously thought I was that good to be in big league camp with those guys, you know, obviously three weeks later, I was sent down to AAA, but there was a moment there that I was like, you know, I never really experienced out the pirates because it was so cut throat when we were in big league camp, because I was going to take somebody's position, you know, but when I was with the Cardinals, no one was worried about number 76 Reed Seacrest taking somebody's spot. So. Those spring trainings were, they were fun. I really enjoyed St. Louis. I enjoyed Texas. Cincinnati was a good, you know, with Larkin and Griffey. Those were good spring trainings. And I think it was just because people were laid back and they knew that I was, and I could get any information I wanted from any
0: of those guys. They were willing to give me information.
1: With with Pittsburgh, it was
0: yeah, so cool. we, we've talked about that, where it's amazing when you go to a different organization and you ask a question to a veteran player, or at least you feel comfortable asking a question, that, that you, you're you going to get a, probably a pretty good answer. When when we were there, it was like, you don't say anything, you know, and, and that's something yeah. that, that Banny brought up, as I talked to Banny quite a few weeks ago, and um you know and obviously probably maybe from a managing or front office perspective you might not know that or know the culture and the feel for that but when you're a young player and you're trying to get advice from maybe established player number 1 you got to feel comfortable to go ask that person right? right and and then in my experience when i finally asked that question and you kind of like i'm not going to tell you an answer like <laughs> like why would i why would i let you try to be better than me that was that's how I felt, and it's, you know, I know we talked about that. That's how you felt as well. Um,
1: I did. Yeah. But, and the, you know, the guys I played with in '96, you know, Dell, Swain, Joe, Baver, Tom Bolton, Kenny Greer, those guys were really good, and they were there in '97 with us in big league camp. But you know, and I got a lot of information from them, but I just always felt like I was. I was there going to take somebody's spot, so no one was really going to, you know, be that nice to me. But, man, when I was with these other teams, it was like, I walked into the St. Louis big league, and, they're, and you know, Willie McGee, I talked to him right away, and he's like, hey, if you need anything, you come talk to me, Reed, you know. He knew I was a catcher, though. Maybe if yeah. I was a center fielder, it would have been different.
0: <laughs> You're a <laughs> but, threat Dad, <then>, right?
1: <laughs> I was a threat uh, to Sad. Willie McGee, yeah, so. Anyway, they were cool. McGuire was cool with me. I mean, I just – I really enjoyed those spring trainings, even though I knew that I was, like, not ever going to make that team, yeah. you know, where I had a chance, I felt, with Pittsburgh. So, anyway, yeah, that was, yeah. That was a good experience. It yeah, was, it was awesome. also a learning experience, too, though. In Memphis that year, I felt like no one had any confidence in me after about July, and they ended up releasing me. And that was hard to play when my man, I felt like my manager, my coaches didn't have the confidence in me as a player. And so that's one thing I've learned also as a coach is like we talked about a little earlier about confidence, just trying to get my players here at the high school to realize that I do think that they can come through in situations and they, they do, you know, when they're in those tight situations, I believe that that they're going to come through, you know, and, I never felt like that before. I learned so much in my pro career, man, that's helped me coach at the high school level. I'm still learning here too. There's no doubt about that. But, man, I just – I wouldn't trade that for anything. I just – I Trent Jewett, Bannister, Marty Brown, those guys that coached me, I mean, was great. You know, and even the guys that weren't so great that I didn't really care for. They taught me how not to be a coach, you know, and so – I mean, I couldn't ask for more to have those guys mentor me at what I'm doing now. And hopefully in the future, it will continue.
0: Yeah, you. so you now, now you've been coaching 17 years at Snow Canyon. Um, I want to paint a picture for the people listening on how crazy, crazy maybe is not the word, but how cool it is to go watch a high school baseball game so Snow Canyon is in Saint George, Utah. It's in southern Utah, and what do you have about five high schools there now? Is it five yeah, five there? there's yeah about five. Like five high schools. So, um, pr- pretty small and community, but very competitive, and a mm-hmm. lot of your games are at night because you all have lights, right? And so, and I and I, from a scout's point of view, I've scouted some players at your school, at different schools in the area. Now. At Snow Canyon in particular, you go to the school and there's kind of a grassy burn there that you, you can put, you, you, if you show up right after school, there's like hundreds of chairs already put out, like people getting their spots to, to watch this baseball game. So here in Las Vegas, um, obviously it's beautiful in the spring, the only people that are watching the game are the parents of the kids, you know, and maybe... Maybe some coaches, some random scouts. So right. not a lot of people at all. These games, there's hundreds of people. Like it's like it's like a it's like a community, a city thing. People show up and you're playing like every game's kind of a, a rivalry because there's only so many schools. So it, it is quite a I mean, it's easily the best atmosphere in the four corners area that we scout to go watch a game because the games are at night, people show up. And it's a, it's a dogfight every game.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, there's nothing like it. And I, and I love it because it kind of brings back that, you know, minor league pro, you know, with the people in the stands. And, uh, like you said, seven o'clock at night and people are off work and they come here. And I mean, we can get a thousand to 2000 people jammed on this grassy hill over here and in our, in our stands. And, uh, the facilities are unbelievable. Um, there's, I, I, I love every minute of it. And uh, the Crosstown Rivals are great. You know, I get along with all the coaches. But people don't really know how to interact with me from other schools because I'll do the travel ball thing, showcases, and I'll have some of those kids play for me, and they're not really sure because they don't like me. Okay. But they don't really know me. And so you're, you're point intense for me. And then they're you're, like, Oh, hey, he's all right. <laughs> he's an all right guy. You know, he's all right. <laughs> but, uh, during these games, you know, I'm intense. I'm competitive. I've worked hard. I know my players have worked hard and put in the work and, uh, I expect things to uh, go our way all the time. And sometimes they don't, and that upsets me. So anyway, but some of the fun things I get, I, I bring so much of the pro game into this that that people don't even understand. And maybe I shouldn't say anything, but I, Crosstown Rival here, uh, the fans, they just light me up. They don't like me. They light me up. And, And there was a play once where a kid took a helmet off and I knew it had nothing to do with the play, but I went out and talked to the umpire. And these people went absolutely crazy on me. Get off the field. See, Chris, you're fat. Get You know, whatever. They're just yelling everything and everything. And I walk out to the umpire and I said to him, I said, hey, I said, I'm just going to, I just came out here to stand out here and talk with you a little bit while these people just go crazy. So they just, they're absolutely going crazy. And the umpire looks at me and he's like, I've never heard a coach say that ever. And I said, yeah, I'm going to stand out here and just talk with you a little bit. He's like, well, throw your hands up in the air and act like you're really getting into it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh they're going crazy so i'm just messing with them right you know so this stuff like that is just it's kind of a fun deal but you're right it's it's an atmosphere i've never grown up in northern utah where your games are at three o'clock and you know you hope to get your girlfriend out there maybe your dad left work early to see your game you know but down here it's uh especially when both teams are uh and we got some great baseball here, but but when both teams are fighting for a playoff spot or a, yeah. a region championship, it's it's just crazy how many people come to these things, and yeah, I think it prepares our kids well for the next level. Yeah. They go so maybe it doesn't because sometimes they go to the next level and they got yeah we had twenty people in our stand, you know, it's like they're disappointed care. or they don't right? have a clubhouse or locker room <laughs> like we have here, or indoor hitting facility, you know, and things like that. So. It's kind of interesting.
0: Oh yeah, it could definitely it, it could be a college like a college situation and atmosphere with the way your club you got a clubhouse you walk upstairs, I mean it's a it's awesome. I mean completely spoiled, basically.
1: <laughs> I am, but uh, you know the guy before me built the clubhouse and then uh, I worked my tail off on that hitting facility. We got three cages in there indoor. When it's 110 outside, you can go in there and hit. And, uh, you know, so it is – it's top notch. There's no doubt about it. I, people are like, hey, do you ever think about going to college level or somewhere else? And I'm like, no, I really don't.
0: I, I feel like I've got it all here. Yeah. So, Yeah. yeah when I don't want to leave. You, when you spend as much time as you have trying to build, build up the facility and, and grow – the, I mean, you've won state championships. You know, you, you've been a runner-up, I think, a few times. So it's uh when you get into that atmosphere and you go compete and you're helping kids get to school get to college and go on and and you have them for four years helping them become men because they're with you almost every single day um and you have quite a staff I know this year you have uh Brandon Lyon, a former major leaguer that helps you out um his son is i believe what a uh, gonna be a he'll be a junior this upcoming junior. year yep yeah. Um, so good player there. You have constant D1 players that go on to play at different levels. Um, you've had Wally Ritchie, former big leaguer. Yeah. So there's some, there's some guys there. It's a great place to be. Any, I guess, last words of advice. And, and what would you say, I ask these questions a lot, like, what would you say gives your mental edge on how you go about your daily life?
1: You know what? I think just being positive all the time, you've got to be positive. When things are not going your way, you got to find the positive in it. That's what I try to do here. There's obviously a lot going on here, you know, and kids trying to go to the next level and do things. But it's just uh, – and you deal with a lot of different things. But uh, I think it's just being positive, having that self-confidence yeah. that you're going to come through. And it might just be a little t- glitch, little speed bump, in your life but uh you know it's just that uh if you're positive about things you can get over it it's good yeah so that's what uh i've tried to do here yeah with my with my players try to be as positive as i can give them that confidence they need and not only to succeed on the baseball field but you know succeed
0: in life so i think it's huge absolutely that's awesome man well, this has been great. I love your story. Uh, the journeyman story, I think, is one that needs to be told because it happens a lot more often than we think. And, you know, and you, and you handled your, the, your life and everything. It's been amazing. You have four amazing boys, uh, an amazing wife. Um, so you just had a lot of good things going for you. And 17 years coaching now, you know, it's amazing <laughs> it's gone that fast.
1: I know. That's more, that's more than 12 that I
0: play. I used to say, well, I played 12.
1: And then I, then I started out of my college year, so I'm like 16. Yeah. But now I'm past that, so I've yeah. been a coach longer than I've played.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, Crazy. and it's, it's funny how that works out, that you think you're going to play forever. And then, I mean, most of us, we're lucky, real lucky if you play until you're 30 years old For at sure. the professional level. And most guys are done by the time they're 22, 23, 24. Huh. So, yeah, it's, it's pretty cool to see. But, man, yeah. I appreciate you. I appreciate coming on board. I uh, appreciate your time, and hopefully we get some baseball going. Hopefully we can start back up in the fall. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> Do you know. So, yeah. but man, I appreciate you coming on board.
1: We definitely need it. We need it, man. This is awesome what you're doing. I've enjoyed uh, watching the other guys, so keep it yeah. up.
0: Absolutely. It's good. All right, man. We'll, we'll talk to everybody. you soon.
1: Thanks. All right. See you, Chad. Okay.
0: Hey, what's up guys? I want to thank you for listening to today's episode. You know, if you had any experience playing a sport while growing up, or even now, you know, have a kid playing a sport, you know how important the mental game is. You know, there are many that say it's at least 60% of their sport, and some will even say it's as high as about 90%. So if the consensus is it's at least 60% of your game, no matter what sport, what are you or what are your son, you know, your daughter doing to work? on the mental game. I wanna help you out or your athlete out. As I work with athletes at all different ages, they are all different as far as their engagement in a group setting or in one-on-ones. To help give athletes some options, I wanted to hit on doing mental training on their own time, one-on-ones, or even in a group setting. So I wanted to give you some options. My first option is my online course where I created over 40 videos where your athlete can watch, learn, and go through these videos at their own pace. I would think and say that this is great for those athletes that don't want to be a part of a group setting or they have thoughts, you know, they don't want anyone to know that I'm actually working on my mental game. Now, these videos come in a yearly membership, where they watch the videos, they have access to me through email during the duration of their membership and they get a one one-on-one call per year. And this is a membership, it's $199 per year. So more, for more information on that, go to mentaledge.training. The second option is for those that really like engagement. I've been doing live weekly online calls where I pick a topic to coach on. I engage and ask questions with the athletes on how this applies to them. They take notes in their mental game journal, and they work on that particular skill or the topic I give them for that week. Now, this option is a membership as well, and it's $13.99 a month. I also do get a lot of inquiries about one-on-one coaching as well as team coaching. I do do those as well. So you can email me at chad at dot coach for more details on that but if you want more information on the links on these memberships i have click on the show notes and i can give you all that information there on those websites but i want to thank you again for listening to this podcast i do want to make this better i would love to hear any comments any suggestions you have where i can make this podcast even better for you and to help you out i also want to let you know that all these interviews on this podcast or also in video form on YouTube and if you go search Mental Edge Training Coach all these interviews will be there as well. So again thank you for listening and I will see you in the next episode. Take care.